Thank you so much for that Savior. In fact, this Wednesday night, you might note in your bulletin, uh, we got a special guest speaker coming in to talk about our Savior, especially as he is revealed in the Old Testament in the Hebrew festivals, the fall festivals, which are coming up here in September. Um, and so that'll be this Wednesday. We've got a, a fellow, Ryan Cart from Chosen People Ministries, coming in and talking about that. It'll be a wonderful time of, of teaching. Um, if you happen to have any friends who are, are Jews, uh, this would be a great opportunity to invite them uh, so they can see in their own scriptures how Jesus is there in the Old Testament. Uh, and so I just don't want to remind you of that, that note. Now, if you will, just uh, allow me uh, to speak a little bit about some, some church matters here. Um, a couple Saturdays ago, uh, we had a, a staff retreat, and uh, we had a couple, two, several goals that we wanted to get accomplished. I'm going to just share with you, one of our goals was to address a problem that we see in our church, uh, especially with our Sunday school classes and our second service. Most of you right now feel comfortable with the folks around you here, but if you were to go into the second service, uh, you would note uh, one is considerably smaller, uh, and not only is it considerably smaller, it's, um, well, it's predominantly one-dimensional in its demographic. Uh, it's, it's mostly uh, people who are in their uh, 60s uh, and up uh, that they're in that uh, uh, second service. And if you were a visitor, most likely uh, the first service you would visit would be our second service. In fact, uh, this past Sunday, I think we had about four different families uh, that were guests, and uh, most of those, honestly, are in their 30s and 40s, um, and they look around at the service, and uh, one, they don't see themselves uh, in the service, they don't see their own demographic, and then they're wondering why no one's there. Uh, our staff uh, just made some observations that they're wondering what kind of embezzler I am uh, for no one to be coming and attending, uh, and so this is just an, uh, an observation that we've had for over, uh, well, this past year. And something that we felt like we needed to address. And so, in looking at this, we considered several options. Um, and we considered the pros and cons of all the options that might uh, fix this problem. And then we looked at what we thought were God-centered pros, God-centered cons, uh, to weigh the options seriously. And uh, we came to a conclusion um, that we just feel at a peace about uh, that will be, for some of you, uh, good news for some of you, maybe not good news. Um, and that is, uh, we are convinced that we need to go back to one Sunday school as well as one service. Um, this is something that uh, we pray, prayed about, thought about. Um, we're looking at the uh, 9 o'clock hour being our worship, or our Sunday school small group hour, our 10.30 uh, hour being uh, our worship service, corporate worship together going till 12. Um, this is something that we hope to be able to put into place by October, uh, first Sunday of October. Um, it will mean some adjustments. I know for some of you, especially those who like to get here early and get out early, um, this doesn't provide any good information for you. Um, uh, just, you know, this is an honest uh, con of this, but there are a lot of good positives that come from this as well. Uh, we will have to do some adjustments. Um, I'm glad Teddy made reference of the Philippians 2, 3, and 4 passage 
Uh, let not everyone look on their own interests, but everyone also on in the interests of others. If I, I think that we might could include under the word interest, your seat. Okay? Let not every man look on their own seat, but also the seat of others. Um, chances are in October you won't be sitting where you're at presently. And, and that's okay. And, and it will require some flexibility on our part. Um, and we'll be talking about that as we go. But this is just something I want to inform to you guys. Uh, we're going to talk about this further in our Sunday school meeting after church and our lunch. Um, but y'all just pray about this and uh, see how the Lord can use this and work. Um, and uh, we saw many good things come out of our uh, system that we've got now. But ultimately, the system is to help us grow. And if it starts going against that, we need to consider it and, and uh, see how we can change it. So, uh, with that thought of mind, I'm going to ask you uh, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, we're going to continue with part two of sorts. We're going to look at verse 3 through 11. I uh, had ambitious hopes a couple weeks ago to actually talk about this, but it, it was beyond me. And, and so we're going to talk about today, uh, discipline, uh, the discipline of the Lord and adversity. Uh, have you ever been in a, a thunderstorm and uh, maybe you're outside, you're caught outside for some reason and you see the lightning and you hear the thunder and you realize it's really close by. Uh, it's the kind that shakes you, shakes the surroundings around you. Have you ever asked yourself in that time, Am I right with God? Does that thought ever cross your mind? Am I right with God? Because in our mind, we're thinking, if I'm not not right with God, then God might strike me with lightning. Have you ever thought that? Just raise your hand. Just my hand's raised. You know, I I think this is just something that we we think of because we have this idea uh, of what the judgment of God looks like. And a lot of times it looks like lightning. <laughs> and, and I just want to um, use scripture maybe to change our thinking uh, to look at how does the discipline of God work? Um, what is the role? Uh, and in dealing with adversity, there are some powerful strengths found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 through 11. You got to keep in mind that the, the ultimate context of the book of Hebrews is to encourage people, believers, who are in adversity. They're in adversity because of their faith. Not just because times are difficult or they have cancer. They are dealing with difficult things because they are following Christ. Uh, and so the whole book was written for that end. And so you have chapter 11, the, the great hall of faith, and, 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 and I want to note that in these examples of people who were dealing with faith, most of these examples in Hebrew 11 were dealing with people who were having some kind of adversity in their life, uh, and how faith uh, brought the working of God into their life. Sometimes it was to bring out miraculous deliverance, sometimes it was to give overcoming endurance, Sometimes it was a good result as we define it as good. Sometimes it was a bad result as we define it as bad. Uh, But nonetheless, all throughout, he says, I I want to commend you in your faith. I want to encourage you in your faith that God is at work. And so in chapter 12, we looked at this uh, a couple weeks ago. He says, therefore, because of all this has gone before us, run with endurance. All right. That's the idea that it's not easy. Run uh, remaining under an agonizing uh, situation, the race set before us, 
how do we do this? And, and the idea is that we're seeking God. Remember Hebrews eleven six. What does it mean to have faith? Uh, well, one, it pleases God because we believe that he is. All right, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I'm just going to tell you that idea is going to be attacked daily in your life. That you believe that God rewards those who diligently seek him. It's going to be attacked all the time. If you live that way, it will be as a race that you endure. Uh, but, verse 2, <coughs> we do this looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Uh, now, why are we looking to Jesus? Because of verse 3, so we can consider him. And so with that thought in mind, let's start reading with verse 3, uh, looking at how we deal with adversity, the strengths found in this passage for adversity, and let's go through verse 11. So let's stand as we'll read this together in honor of God's word. <clears throat> Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you forgotten the exhortation that dresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father's spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplined us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You may be seated. <laughs> I give you from this passage four strengths in dealing with adversity. The first strength that is given right here in verse 3 at the very beginning, and that is the 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 strength found, and the example of our Savior. When you're dealing with adversity, it helps to know that the one whom you serve, the perfecter of the faith, the author of our faith, himself went through difficult times. Himself went through adversity. So, verse 3, notice the nature of this. <clears throat> he endured from sinners. Such hostility against yourself. Himself, The worst adversity that you go through is not necessarily the natural disasters that come or the financial situations, though they are bad. Uh, they may not be just the physical uh, hardships. Thank you very much. But it will be when someone does wrong to you. When someone just sins against you. Notice what's happening here. He says the worst type of sin, when someone just betrays you, leaves you, hurts you, slanders you, does any manner of things against you. Notice what happened to Jesus. That was what happened to him. He endured the cross that he did this by enduring from sinners such hostility against himself. What's the point of this? So that you won't be faint, weary. The faint-hearted is, is the idea that God's called you to seek him, 
He's called you to believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But when life gets tough, when people attack Christ, there's the idea of saying, you know, there's an easy way out of this. Why don't I just forget about seeking Christ? It's not worth it. And let me go on my own way. <clears throat> and so he's encouraged us not to do that. So we'll keep on reading here. Uh, he says in verse 4, And your struggle against sin. All right, now what are, we, what are we struggling against? What are we being encouraged to do? What do we have faith to do? It's to have, verse 4, a struggle against sin. You need to keep in your mind that the saving faith that we talk about, when you trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, is the same thing that turns into the seeking your Savior faith of Hebrews 11, verse 6, which turns into the same thing as the sin-fighting faith. Every once in a while, you may bring to someone's attention that you know, if you consider continue in sin, I'm going to be afraid for your soul and your eternal destiny. I, I think the Bible speaks very clearly about the issues of lust. That if we're not fighting lust, that there's concerns here about your eternal destiny. And so the question will come, are you saying, Pastor, that you, can, you believe that you can lose your salvation? What I'm saying is that salvation, the faith to save, is the faith that seeks the Savior, is the faith that fights sin. If you have no faith to fight sin, you have no faith to seek a Savior, then guess what? It demonstrates there is no faith to be saved. Do you understand what's being taught here? Yes, I... You know, we believe in the Bible and it says that, that you will not lose your salvation. When God saves you, he keeps you. And in fact, what we're going to talk about is a powerful demonstration of him doing that in just a little bit. But the question really is, what does it mean to be saved? It's not just making a profession of faith. It is a faith that seeks Christ above the things of this earth. A faith that fights sin. And this is something that we see right here in this passage, that, that if we are not struggling against sin, then the question really is, is, is there faith in our life? And so he says, look, verse 4, in your struggle against sin, don't get weary here. He's telling the believers, don't get tired here. Don't exhaust. Don't quit your fight. It's one thing to fall in sin, but it's another thing to stop fighting sin altogether. He says, notice, you, yet you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, we've read already in, in, in Hebrews that these people in chapter 10 are the ones that are going in prison. Some of them are getting uh, uh, starving and hurting that way. But he says, as bad as it is, no one's, no one's killing, your, killing you yet. That's not yet happening. If, if you are discouraged and you're walking away from Christ when... It's like this when it's not bloodshed. What are you going to do when it does turn into bloodshed? So if you can't, if you can't run with the footmen, how are you going to deal with the horses? It's kind of the, the nature here in verse 4. And let, me just, let me just bring this out. Uh, <clears throat> the struggle against sin is the inward sin, but it's also the sin of others. 
Okay, so it's dealing with that. The attack of other people, their sin against us, but it's also the inward sin of our own belief. Philippians, uh, 1 Peter 2.11 says that, that uh, lust does strive against our soul, that there is a battle that goes on within us, is a battle. To be a believer means that we are called to fight, and we are fighting against our own unbelief in our life. And so there is a struggle to rest. You get that? The Bible says, Jesus has come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I... Uh, we'll give you rest. There's the idea of, in the Hebrews 4, of rest for our soul. What does that mean? A struggle to rest. It is a struggle not to rest in sin, to identify us, to define us, to set our hopes on that. It's a struggle against that so that we will set our heart and mind on Christ, who is the satisfaction of our soul. Okay? And so that's the idea, that we're struggling so that we can rest in Christ to put our hopes in Him. I think about this and I thought, man, you know, we struggle as it is now. What what will happen when the government fully turns against believers? Sometimes I know that there are there are some who who have a difficult time speaking in public. And when we spring out to our church, the idea that if you want to be a member, you have to be baptized. And uh, and and sometimes there's a fear of water, but for some folks, it's just fear of people. That's scary. But let me just bring this thought to you. If you're not able to stand before God's people and tell God's people that you're not ashamed of Jesus Christ, how are we going to do it in a world that hates Christ? Do you follow that? If we're not willing and able to stand here and say, Jesus is my Savior, how are you speaking up? In front of people that don't like Christ. And, and so just, just a thought here that, that flows from that. And so the idea is, is, look, it's going to get tough, but you've not yet resisted to the worst part. And so verse 5, he reminds them of something. And I want to just give you the second story. And in verse, not only is it the, the strength of the example of our Savior, but there's also the power of Scripture that is a strength in adversity. Notice in verse 5, have you forgotten the exhortation that dresses you as sons? And so he quotes Scripture. He quotes verse 5. He's actually quoting Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. Now, many of you have memorized Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know, this is one we see in the walls, on the mug. Um, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your understanding, all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths, all right? But then we don't, we don't go on with the rest of it. Honor Lord with all your substance and with first fruits of all your increase. Oh, uh, <laughs> talking about money there. Uh, you know, uh, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. Um, but then you got verse 11 and 12. He quotes it for us here. My son... Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. I'm going to tell you that when you're in adversity, there's nothing like the scriptures. The Hebrew author himself says, let me bring to you the Old Testament. And he's quoting from Proverbs, which by the way, Proverbs has a lot of things to say about discipline. A lot of things to say about adversity. Uh, there is strength found in the word of God when Jesus refers to the word of God in times of temptation, when on the cross he quotes scripture, when the Hebrew author does it, when Paul does it, when all the people we see walking with God do it in the Bible, they quote the scriptures. 
what makes us think that we are so strong that we can go through life without having scriptures memorized? How do, how do we think that? All right. I just want to encourage you, get in the word of God, read the Bible, memorize the Bible, study it. Go to it in times of adversity. Don't go to Oprah. All right. Don't go to Dr. Phil. Okay. Don't go to your, 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 your buddies. Don't go to your girlfriends. Because when it's said and done, it doesn't really matter what their opinion is. What you need is what does the God say? What does the word of God say? The Bible says it's living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. And it knows the thoughts and the tense of your hearts. It's amazing. I have questions in my life and I read the word of God. I've not asked anybody those questions. Only one who knows it is myself and God. And God answers my questions in the scriptures. And I'm thinking, whoa, God, yeah, that's pretty neat. You know my thoughts. And you speak to me through the scripture. Try it. You'll be amazed. Now, what does he say from scripture? Well, he says, first of all, he calls him my son. Uh, he says, addresses, that's the point of the author. He says, look, God calls you sons. The, the idea is not little babies, but adults that are in question here, adult sons, don't regard the discipline, the training of the Lord, okay? And that's the idea behind this word discipline, the training, it's the word padea uh, of, of what God is doing. And so don't understand, he's doing this as a father to a son, he's doing it with a purpose, he's training you towards something, so don't be weary when reproved by him. That word reproved means to bring to light, Hidden things. You know, when God reproves you, he's bringing to light sin and unbelief in your own heart. And demonstrating and showing you, hey, look, did you know you're this way? Did you know that you think this? Do you know that this is the main goal of your life? And God reproves you and brings to light who you are. Now, notice verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. This takes us to the next strength in adversity. And that is the spirit of our father. Consider the spirit of our father as strength in adversity. To know that God sees you as his children and as a badge of you being in his family is discipline, is correction. You know, growing up, um, they, we had this thought, uh, this idea, we talked about the Scott nose. Um, if, if you want to know what a Scott nose was, just look at my nose. And my, and my parents, my granddad and others would say, hey, look, he's got the Scott nose. Like, okay, great. You know, it's just kind of a little angle to it. Um, I saw it in my dad. I saw it in my granddad. I saw it in my aunts and uncles and various folks, the, the, the Scott nose. And so it was a badge of me being in the family. Well, listen, the scripture says that if you want a badge in being God's family, it's called correction. It's called discipline. The very fact that when things go bad in your life, when you do wrong, is evidence that you are in God's family. Do you get that? It is evidence that you are in God's family. Now listen, when bad stuff happens in your life, our thought is, oh, God's punished me. Let me just change the word on you. God is correcting you. Listen, as bad as whatever it is you're going through or have gone through, that's not punishment for your sin. It's not bad enough. <laughs> as bad as it is, that's, that's just not bad enough for the punishment of your sin. You want to see the punishment of your sin? You look at the cross. 
God takes the punishment of your sin and puts it on Jesus Christ on the cross. So what is God doing? God is giving you consequences. God is giving you correction. Listen, and this is something that this pastor has taught me, that when I am correcting my children, I'm not punishing them. Because it's sin. I understand my spanking, my timeouts, my little consequences, it's just not bad enough for them to be punished. God does that. But it is correction and what helping them to understand the consequences for their sin. And so consider the spirit of the Father. Now, Romans one twenty eight. Let's go to Romans one twenty eight a little bit. Let's look and see what does the wrath of God do look like? Uh, we've, we've got this idea of, you know, lightning and, um, you know, it's going to be instantaneous uh, when we sin. Romans one twenty eight kind of um, well, changes our, our thoughts here about this. Um, Notice it says, verse 28, referring to people who have rejected God. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. God's judgment and wrath was to let them continue doing the sin. So, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malicious. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient, parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? You got, you got murder, and you got someone says, uh, yeah, and you disobeyed your mom and dad. Seems kind of out of joint sometimes, doesn't it? Uh, but the idea is that the spirit of disobedience is rebellion against God. Uh, and so God says, you want to see the wrath of God? It's God just simply saying, Continue on, continue on down the path you've chosen. Do you understand that if we look at it like that, the very mercy of God is to get caught. You know one of the things I started praying for my kids? God, when they do wrong, let them be caught. When they lie, let the lies be found out. When they disobey, let the disobedience be found out. That is the wisdom of God. And so we pray for this. This is God's desire for us is that these things be caught so that God can teach us. Now, um, we look in verse 6. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. We get this and we read, you know, God doesn't give time out. It seems to have a lot more harsher edge to it. You know that word scourge? <laughs> uh, it, it's not... It, time out is the mode for, for discipline nowadays. Uh, that wasn't the case when I was little. Yeah, it's, it's you know, everybody can spank you. Um, you know, you, you go to the school, and yeah, I saw kids get taken out by the principal and the teacher, and I thought, hey, God, spanked, you know. Every, everybody can spank you then. Um, and, and my parents didn't say, I want you to sit there and think about it. I had already thought about it. You know, and I did it. Um, that just, some uh, uh, kids get it pretty easy, don't they? Um, you know, time out. Time out's the mode. Uh, but here you get a lot more harsher edge to this, and, and that is scourging. There is pain involved in this. You remember Psalms 23? You know, you know Psalms 23, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leaves me inside still waters. He restores my soul, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shed of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy 
and thy staff do what? Have you ever thought about that? Have you seen shepherds with rods and staff? They're not just rubbing the back of the sheep, you know. Here, lay down, let me rub your belly with the, with the staff. They're taking a rod and their staff and they're beating them to go the right direction so they don't go off the cliff. Have you thought about that? We would say Psalm 23 is, oh, that's such comfort to me. You're in the valley of shadow of death and you fear no evil because God is a correcting God. That God is, is allowing you to go through the valley of shadow of death so that there is correction. So that you will walk in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I don't know if you thought about that yet. You see, Proverbs 16.4, God can use anything for this purpose. Proverbs 16.4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. God can even use wicked people who make decisions against God, against God's people and says, you know what? You did this of your own free will. You're doing evil. But God says, I am so powerful that I've orchestrated this universe. So I knew that you would make that decision, that you, this would happen. And I orchestrated it so that through that, I am working in it to bring discipline and correction to you. That's amazing. God doesn't waste painful experiences. One of the things I read last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30 to 32. I don't know if you caught that. Uh, but is in reference to the Lord's Supper. He says, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died because they were drinking uh, and eating unworthily the Lord's Supper. But verse 31, if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. He says, some folks have not been considering the Lord's Supper properly. They've not been judging themselves. So if they do not judge themselves, if they do not repent before God, God brings correction even physical difficulty, physical harm. Why? So that they would not be judged with the world. So that you can understand that you're not of the world, that you're of the family of God. To show that you belong to Him. So, it is for discipline that you have to endure. Verse 7, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Susanna Wesley had... Um, well, 17 kids, um, some of which are included John and Charles Wesley, the uh, founder of Methodism, a writer of many songs, had these words to say about raising children. The, parents, the parent who studies to subdue self-well in his child works together with God in the renewing and saving a soul. The parent who indulges it does the devil's work, makes religion impractical, salvation unattainable, and does all that in him lies to damn his child's soul and body forever. Wow. I think she believed in spanking, um, at least certainly punishment, uh, correction. Um, so verse 9, he says, look, consider your own example. We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father's spirits and live? I learned the important lesson of your children understanding the word no before I was ever a parent. I remember walking the streets of Wake Forest and I was talk, talking with a buddy and I saw a, a dad and his son and they're walking near the streets and the son was starting to take off run and dad was saying, no, no, no. And he was getting, running into the streets. 
where cars were coming, and finally the dad had to take off, jerk the son by the arm, and pull him back before he got hit. I made a mental note when I saw that. The same no that I use in talking to my child about eating more ice cream is the same no that I have to use to save my child from getting killed by a car. So I made a mental note. There is huge value in a child understanding and obeying every time the word no, because sometimes the fourth no just doesn't cut it when you're trying to save their life. So he says, consider your father who in life will tell you no because he loves you. They discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them. He disciplines us for our good. I remember um, Dr. Patterson was uh, president of Southeastern Seminary my first year in, in seminary in school, just graduated from college, a communication major. It was a big difference between studying communication and studying and, and my master's degree in, in uh, seminary and divinity. And, and I made a mistake of taking his class, which is in uh, theology. You're not supposed to do that at the end, but I didn't know better. And so I took his classes way over my head all the time. And uh, he has me writing this paper, which most of the grade of my classes can be found on this paper. And I'm writing the paper and have no clue about the his, history issues of, uh, and the theological issues behind all these. I'm just writing away. You know, I'm just, I don't know what I'm doing. And so I'm writing and I send the paper to him. And um, while he's grading all the papers, he, he hears me preach one day. And uh, it scares me to death. And, and afterwards, he comes up to me and tells me, Jared, I love you. I just, oh, thank you, Dr. Patterson. You know, I appreciate that. Um, I had no idea the significance of that until I got my paper back. <laughs> I got my paper back, and the first page or two, it was like red. It was more red than black on my paper. And there were these sarcastic remarks put in here. And, and, uh, just, and then at the end, he says, Jared, you're in the master's level now. You must do master's level work. You can do master's level's work. This is not master's level's work. And I was just, I never felt so defeated after getting that paper. I was just walking out of the post office and what? I was, I was getting angry. Especially, it's like, did he have to put sarcasm in the paper? You know? Um... And so I was getting a little angry, but then a little bit later I remembered, oh, Dr. Patterson said he loved me. I was starting to really wonder after that paper. But I put the two together. He loves me. It was really bad as after that first, second page, there was no more red ink. He just stopped grading. <laughs> um, and I put these two together. A loving professor means red ink everywhere. All right, and whatever adversity you're going to go through, I want you to remember in this in the backdrop of what you're dealing with is Jesus on a cross, 
where God wanted to demonstrate what he thinks about you. He didn't choose the adversities and stuff you're going through. He chose the cross. He said, you want to know what I think about you? Look at Jesus on the cross. Is there any doubt of my love for you? Is there any doubt of my concern for your holiness? Interpret this event you're going through in light of the cross and understand that what you deal with is a God who loves you, who's correcting you. And don't think, God, you're not really a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You don't really love me. You don't really care about these things. You're not really here. You're not all powerful. You're not... Uh, all caring. That's not you. Don't understand the cross and what it means. Now, as we keep on reading, I just want to share with you uh, one other strength. Not only is there strength in, in the example of our Savior, the, the promise of scriptures, the, the Father of spirits, uh, as, as scripture gives us that terminology in verse 9, but also consider the spiritual results let that be a strength for you in a verse, the spiritual results. And notice what he says here, verse 10. He disciplines us for our good. Do you understand that he is more about your good than you are? He is more about your good than you are. He is doing this for your good. And then that we may share in his holiness. Here is the, just the reality. God cares more about your holiness than your happiness. That's just the reality of it. Sometimes I'm talking to my kids and I tell them something to do and, and they'll respond and talk back and say, but daddy, I don't want to do that. I don't like that. And I have to respond by saying, I didn't ask you what you wanted. That's not the question. The question is not at all what you want. And I'm not asking you what you like. I'm not taking that into consideration. I'm just telling you to do this. Because what they want and what they like does not always lead them to a right place. Can you get that? There'll be times that we happen in our life and, we're, and the first thought is, God, why, why, why? What is the sense in this? This makes no sense. I, I can't see any good coming out of this. I don't like this. I don't want this. And the fact of the matter is, it's God saying, I'm not asking you what you want. I'm not asking you what you like. I know life. I know the end result of life. And I know what gives you greatest purpose and joy and in the end the greatest happiness the greatest good and so i'm going to let you go down a road that you don't like because i'm in this for your good i'm in this for your holiness listen in marriage your marriage is not about what makes you happy it's about what makes you holy having kids it's not about what makes you happy it's about what makes you holy. Taking care of your own parents is not about what makes you happy, but what makes you holy. And dealing with church and people who are obstinate sometimes and don't get along with you, it's not about church, it's not about your happiness. It's about your holiness. Small group is not about your happiness, it's about your holiness. The ministry that we have to teenagers is not about them being happy, it's about them being holy. Ministry to children, to seniors, it's not about you being happy, it's about you being holy. C.S. Lewis notes, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. 
is megaphone. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Notice the psalmist, Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep thy word. Verse 71, the same chapter, is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Same chapter, verse 75. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are righteous and in faithfulness that thou hast afflicted me. Coach Tom Landry said, the job of a coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to be what they've always wanted to be. See, God made us to be in his image. And he is working, he is saved, he is saving them to restore many sons to glory, to bring them back to the image of Christ. Verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I don't know what's going, on, what's going on in your life. I do know that in every person's life there will be adversity. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or unbeliever, really. Tough times happen. There's no, there's no forfeiting that. You can't get past that. But here's the thing. For the believer, when they go through adversity, when they go through hostility of sinners against themselves, when they have people working against them, when life gets tough, we do have a promise from Scripture that says God is using that, working it in our life for good and for holiness. And notice what verse 11 says. For the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now let me tell you just one thing that will help you in this. You've got to desire righteousness and holiness and good more than your happiness. Get that? In your marriage, in your life. And raising your kids and taking care of your parents in your job, in the leisure time, in your mission in life. You've got to desire righteousness, holiness, and the goodness of God. But guess what that's called? That's called faith. Remember Hebrews eleven six? He that has faith pleases God, believes that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's the key. Seeking God more than the stuff around you. More than the comforts of life. Because in the end, they self-destruct. They self-destruct. And everybody who hopes in them will be destroyed as well. So God is saying, I ask and I present to you and I'm working in life to get you to set your heart and mind on the indestructible that will not destroy you. Everything else apart from Christ in the end destroys you. All that's in this world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but of the world. And if anyone does the will of God, he is of the Father, not of the world. For all that's in this world, and all of it's going to pass away. But the man who does the word of God abides forever. I just encourage you, when whatever comes your way, say, God, you're at work. And I believe you're going to work. To present me holy and righteous and good. And the question I ask you, is that enough? Is that enough for you? That will give you the truest indicator of how much faith you have. Is that enough for you? Let's pray.